Hello and welcome to the Story X Story podcast, where we discuss stories across pop culture, plus give you advice on creating your own. It's episode number 68, and I am your co-host, Nigel. I am content creator and co-host, Tazzy. And we are going to be talking narrative design in video games. So to help us do that, we brought along two guests. First of all, uh, we have Corey Potherson, lead narrative... Let me do that again. (laughs) First of all, we have Corey Brotherson, lead narrative designer at Silver Rain Games. Corey, welcome to the show. Thank you very much for having me on. Cool. This is the first time you've been on the show, but not the first time, definitely not the first time we've spoken, but not even the first time we've spoken (laughs) on some kind of recorded media because we did an interview uh, for Gamepad. I think the first Gamepad online event way back, I believe it was seven years ago in 2020. It feels like seven years ago in 2020. (laughs) I was going to say, was it that long ago? Wow. (laughs) (laughs) Definitely feels like that. And also to uh, help us in this discussion, we have a writer and player support liaison at Jagex, Jasmine Moore. Jasmine, welcome. Hi, thank you. Happy to be here. Jasmine and I also spoke, I believe, seven years ago in 2020 for another Gamepad Online uh, (laughs) uh, interview. But this is the first time that they've both been on the podcast so yeah happy to have you both here bringing your expertise to talk about video game writing and narrative design so uh, we're going to get into that in just a moment Uh, as always I want to remind people that you can subscribe to Story X Story on Apple Podcasts on Spotify and wherever you get your podcasts from you can send us your feedback and questions to feedback at mymatter.com in our discord or on social media we are at MyMatter on Twitter, at TV on Instagram, or at Tazzy on both. Yeah, we're going to jump into this discussion, but I want to let people know some of the things that have been happening in the MyMatter universe. We're talking video games today. In the MyMatter universe, we have some video game news this month. So by the time you are listening to this, uh, it would already happen, but you can catch the VOD of our Fortnite games night. That is correct. We are playing Fortnite, um, me for the first time. So that should be uh, interesting. Uh, So we're going to be playing with Studio 77 members on Twitch. And you can watch uh, that VOD on the 27th of May, which I believe is when this episode is out. So you have two weeks to go and catch that VOD. And uh, Studio 77 members can uh, catch the video through the gamepad website indefinitely you can also see highlights of our roblox games night on youtube which again i played for the first time uh surprisingly fun weirdly confusing but very entertaining uh, all the same uh so as well as those games we are coming back with gamepad online the summer edition of gamepad online on saturday the 10th of july so this will be streaming live and on twitch and um, possibly on Facebook. Uh, I need to check our uh, tech department, which is basically Ben at NGI Events, uh, but definitely on Twitch. We're going to be coming with the Friendly Fire competition with games including Swim Sanity. We're going to be bringing that back. Uh, we've also got Rocket League and Brawlhalla. Uh, we'll have more industry interviews, uh, some giveaways, and that's all going to be hosted uh, by Tazzy. So check that out tickets are free we are going to be doing a summer artwork where the high resolution version 
will go to Twitch. So we'll go to Discord and one lucky ticket holder will get a printed canvas version. So we're going to be doing that for the summer event. Gamepad.events for more information. And yeah, join us. Join us for Gamepad Online. All right, so that is the gaming-related stuff that's happening with Gamepad. We're now going to jump into today's discussion. And today we are talking about narrative design in video games. It's um, something that we've discussed before on the podcast and certainly uh, on uh, the Gamepad platform. So we're gonna, I'm going to link to both my interview with Corey and Jasmine uh, in that so you can find a bit more about how they got into the industry and about making uh, games from a narrative designer perspective. So for this conversation, kind of wanted to continue on those themes and look at the way that we interact with video games, how that impacts the stories told and the characters that play out those narratives. So before we get into the sort of nuts and bolts of it, I just wanted to ask Corey uh, and Jasmine, what are some of your favorite narratives in video games today or past? You want to go first, Jasmine? Uh, sure, I've got a list, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, a few of mine um, are things like Bloodborne, uh, Bioshock 2, Control, Persona 5, and Ghost of Tsushima. Uh, I've been really into those and, you know, played a lot of games, but those really stood out to me from uh, a narrative perspective. That's a good list. Thank you. Uh, yeah, I've, I've got a lot as well. I try to distill it down to as few as possible. One of them, Grim Fandango, absolutely love yeah. the fact that it's it's essentially kind of like this Trojan horse of a love story that's been wrapped up in this adventure story. And there's this real warmth to it. It's like it doesn't feel necessarily cynical or forced, which it could have easily done because it's about a game about the afterlife and, and such. So I absolutely love that. That's stuck with me for a very long time. Um, big fan of Return of the Oberdin, uh, which I, I know for an absolute fact, I'm going to be referring to this game like a billion times in the, in the next hour or so. So apologies in advance, but I just I just love how unconventional it is with its storytelling and, and that it marries the gameplay and the story um, in such a wonderfully different way. And also another recent game, uh, Hades, which just on a purely kind of craft level, I, I absolutely adore just in terms of like the sheer amount of of work that went into how the narrative unfolds, but also just the way it actually ties the, the plot and the theme of desperation and escape and growth into the mechanics of the roguelite genre. It's just, it feels like something that should have been done many times before in the past, but it's very rarely has been done. So, so yeah, I absolutely think it's uh, it's great on a narrative level. I still haven't played Hades. It's uh, it's on it's on the list, which is uh, the ever growing list of <laughs> games I need to get to. And um, because I, it's not I didn't think it's my type of game, like the the roguelike uh, genre. But just the more I hear about it, and just people saying like, don't worry about that. It's good enough <laughs> that you should just play it uh, anyways. Like uh, it's kind of convincing me more and more to actually uh, get it and, and try it out. Definitely give it a spin. Yeah, it is definitely worth it. Okay, cool. That's um, yeah. <laughs> I've, I've I feel like I've been told enough times now. I need to <laughs> go and sort that out. <laughs> so Tazzy, we um, so we spoke about uh, narrative design on another panel for EGX. I believe that might have also been no, it kind of couldn't have been last year. Or was it last year? I don't know how time works anymore. I don't know. 
It was sometime <laughs> exactly. in the past. <laughs> yeah. And I think uh, you already answered that question, but unless it's, if it's changed or just to remind people who might not have seen that discussion, uh, any particular favorite narratives in, in video games for you? I think on that podcast, I mentioned um, Titanfall 2 because it's so underrated and it's like just brilliant, especially for the type of game it is, like shooters. And considering the first one didn't have a story, but yeah, like massively impactful. But there's loads of games like Bioshock, Mm. any of the Bioshock games (laughs) (laughs) were great. Um, But yeah, that was the particular one that sort of stood out to me that is probably not on a lot of people's radar as a great story, like a great narrative. Yeah, that definitely did. I remember when you mentioned it, it surprised me that uh, that came up. Cool. I'll, I'll take your word for that. I've not played that game also. So um, I think... <laughs> I recommend it. Okay. Again, I'll add it add it to the list. Uh, I'm definitely... I'm slowly working my way through, uh, through this list. And speaking of that list, I will say um, Little Nightmares mm. is something that I've started. Uh, on the list so just to uh not only is it a is an interesting narrative it's also proof that i do work my way through this list that i keep referring to so i wanted to mention that uh, i've just started it so i'm fairly early i know i know it's not a long game but it's interesting to me of it's an example of like narrative where no one talks <laughs> so yeah. it's the the game presenting a narrative and you kind of piecing together what is happening what might be happening based on actions uh the design of the level things that are happening in the background your own kind of i guess preconceived ideas of the kind of situation you're presented with so that's a really interesting one that's a recent one i'll also say uh the original deus ex which is way way back in 1999 i feel that came out right yeah <laughs> i just remember like key bits of that game that just made me just so invested in the outcome of the character stories so i said i've i've got others that we'll kind of refer to as we go but there's one so all right cool so we got an idea of the kind of games people are enjoying definitely some recommendations for me hopefully some things for people listening to go and check out so i wanted to start the conversation with a look at how like interaction shapes video game narratives so the reason i wanted to have this conversation initially and and, uh get corey and jasmine on is that i had this thought not necessarily not necessarily my thought but just looking at how video games as a medium is something that we interact with and the way we interact with them shapes the stories that are told and what we've seen for the majority of uh sort of video games is interaction based on some kind of conflict and usually shooting and therefore a lot of the games that we play involve shooting part of what i want to do in this discussion is talk about how else can we interact with a video game world and therefore how else can we tell or what kind of stories um can we can we tell so then for again for jasmine and and corey i wanted to uh ask you both because you're writers and you deal with narrative design but you also write in other mediums so for people who might be coming at this from different mediums or maybe already in video games and wanting to know what they can learn from other mediums for for yourselves and we'll start with jasmine like 
What do you think video games offer as a medium that don't get anywhere else? Interesting question. I mean, I think growing up, I was part of that like group of nerds in the corner <laughs> that was really into like writing fan fiction and writing about stories and expanding upon stories. So like it could be movies, it could be games, it could be even books. It was a, a really big hobby and pastime of mine. And the, I guess, debate among a lot of like fan fiction writers and writers for, I guess, recreational writers was that you kind of can't write in the second point of view. Uh, so you can't, you know, say you did this, you did that. It was, you know, seen as lessening the seriousness and lessening the uh, merit that a piece of literature would have fan made or not if it was uh, written in the second point of view. And I don't know, I think that really stuck with me as I got older and I did study uh, creative writing and literature and English for university and, you know, academia kind of had the same exact opinion. But when I played video games, especially games that, you know, left a, an impression on me like Fate growing up or like Zelda or even as I got older, things like Path of Exile or World of Warcraft, that kind of thing there was a direction or there was that kind of subversion of the you or the second point of view, you know, lessening the the seriousness of the art. Because when you play games, you are put in the driver's seat, whether you're put in the driver's seat in an MMO sense where you're making a character or whether you're, you know, kind of put in a position in a single player game when you're assuming a character, you're still getting to do a sort of role play. And so seeing that and seeing that you could actually have, you know, decent art or art that had complex themes, complex stories, you know, complex motivations and all these characters and worlds really, you know, inspired me to uh, want to make games. And I think it's a unique facet of the industry that I haven't seen really reflected in any other kind of art. And yeah, for you, Corey, like, what, what do you think like video games can can do that you can't find in, in anywhere else? Yeah, it's uh, it's interesting when I'm in Jasmine brought up really interesting points as well and it's um for me a lot of my background kind of comes from comic book writing um with a little bit of screen as well there and if anything uh, you know games naturally brings that proximity from audience to the material so much closer um which is not necessarily unique i mean in, in a very strange way um like for example, professional wrestling has a really close proximity between audience and material because they can have an effect on the material that's been created by the story writers of wrestling. Did not expect that analogy. But yeah, I, <laughs> it's I strange. <laughs> but it's really weird how that can they can have that effect on it. And and games obviously has that direct correlation with with the actual impact on the material itself. I do feel there is almost a bit of a, a misleading thing where we as a general people can say that like TV, comics, films, books uh, are passive mediums, but it's like they're only really passive if we make them passive. It's kind of really our job to make the audience do a little bit of work to to get them involved and get them connected to the characters. It's kind of going back to that kind of classic adage, uh, the advice where you say, you know, don't tell the audience what two plus two is. Um, you ask them to work it out. And they'll find that a far more engaging experience as a result. So it's always doing that for your writing and, and good writing will hopefully do that. But games has that natural element built into it. And as a result, you get these really intense, unforgettable experiences that you can't replicate across other mediums. And I think part of that, the real germ and the, the seed of how that works and how it can be 
the most effective is usually when you have this correlation between the player's journey and the player character's journey. And when they're aligned, where the motivations are aligned and you, you're feeling the same emotions, you're feeling the same motivations as what the player character is doing, or at least there's some space for the player to imprint a sense of personality and of themselves on the players on the player character's journey then all of a sudden you have this such an intense feeling of engagement and you understand intrinsically what the the whole i guess the story is about essentially and that's not to say those are the only ways really to get a player engaged i'm showing my age now one of my favorite games is uh, asteroids uh, which doesn't really have a narrative but as a child i i put that narrative onto the game and you know even that mixed up with my imagination and what the game was about it suddenly became one of these things where it's just like oh wow you know this is a game I'll, I'll never forget so putting those two things together where the player itself and the, the player's journey is something like for example the last of us when those two things are, are just lock in absolute lockstep then you have an experience which pretty much no other medium can compare to or, or match. It's, it's quite incredible. It's almost like alchemy at times when it gets it right. Yeah, that's... Uh, wow, Asteroids, yeah, you are. Um, <laughs> I have to look, look that one up. But, um, <laughs> but that's, you know what? You make it, uh, a good point about other mediums. I guess it's easy to say that they are passive, and I've certainly said that uh, myself. But if you work like well-written, you have that, like you say, don't say what is two plus two but you know how do you how can you get there and you make the audience think and sort of put pieces together or try and put pieces together to get to a conclusion and then see what actually turns out and i guess that other mediums can be active in that way but then yeah video games has that ability to that you being a player having the control and then the the differences in the in the story that can come from that uh, I think Last of Us is a good example. I've got actually, uh, you made me think of something I'm going to mention uh, a bit later on in the context of Last of Us, but um, we'll get there in a moment. In terms of the interaction with the story world, like I mentioned, a lot of our interaction as players does come from shooting. Uh, I don't have the, the stats, but I do feel like a majority of games, <laughs> you are shooting at something. I feel I'm not going out on a limb uh, and saying that. But what I, what I was thinking is like, what are the, yeah, what are the limitations uh, of that? Because even though, like conflict in general, obviously is very good and necessary uh, for good storytelling, when it is reduced to simply shooting, like, what do you what do you think is the the downside uh, to having a focus on on that way of interacting with the story world? I think it's always well not always we're, we're taught in western storytelling and western you know kind of creative writing that there has to be conflict for there to be some sort of interest generated and i think it's valuable and it's valid in that it brings you a lot of drama it brings you opposing sides it brings you the building blocks that you need to tell a good story um but i think in certain contexts especially for games sometimes it limits the kind of narrative that you can tell and I think it's something that's been, there's been a focus on changing, uh, I would say in the last 10 years. But if you look at, you know, any sort of game that requires uh, first person shooting or uh, requires any sort of shooting or combat in general, you're kind of boxed in in some ways uh, in that you have to create, you know, at least 
there has to be, not really has to be, but there typically is a hero and enemy. And there are a lot of those, you know, kind of constructs that can, you know, be uh, limiting in certain circumstances. So yeah, I would say there is a lot of room for storytelling that doesn't involve conflict, but for the ones that do involve conflict, and like you said, they are the majority of what you see, sometimes they kind of stop you from being able to tell different kinds of stories just due to, you know, the mechanics you have to work with, the environments you have to work with, and the framework and the universe that you're writing for. Yeah, it's it's really strange to think that we've ended up with a genre which is 60, 70%, if not more, kind of like shooting or you know killing or or what have you um when there's so much more that can be done in in the medium um in itself and it's i kind of get it to a certain degree it's like with games it's about press one thing and get an immediate response it's that immediacy that comes with the medium where it's very kind of like dopamine adrenaline rush driven it's like you want to get a you want to get a reaction. You want to get something there because it's the, it's one of the few environments that you can do where you can do something and get immediate immediate cause and effect mm. straight after. But as a result, it's it really does kind of create this very like like you both said, it creates this very narrow perspective, and that again, like you both said, kind of comes from the fact that we see as an industry and you know players as well as in, are included in that that conflict is is exceptionally kind of like narrow um it's like that conflict has to involve the defeat of something or the destruction of something because again it comes down to that immediate one-to-one um cause and effect but i think like jasmine's been saying it's uh, we're we're hopefully branching out of that because we kind of understand that we have the tools to make conflict a little bit broader, like we've seen in other mediums. We can make more verbal conflict. We can make ideological conflict. We can make thematic conflict in all these different ways beyond that immediate kind of like shooting dopamine, tension, release conflict that we've all kind of got used to in the industry. And unfortunately, it's it's the same sort of thing that you see in, in TV and see in and, uh, movies in particular. It's like, you know, people want that immediate adrenaline rush. People want that immediacy. Whereas, you know, films which are about two people who've grown up together and slowly seeing their relationship crumble apart, that can be, you know, arresting. It can be fascinating. It can be super interesting. But it's never going to get that immediate rush that you would get from, you know, a big action movie or what have you. And, and games are no different in that respect. You know, people do want that sense of like that one, that punch in the gut that comes from something very visceral. But yeah, I think as games has, has grown over time, it's uh, and plus as well with the indie scene being as big as it's ever been, it's uh, the avenues are there because you know not everybody has to rely on that, and there's not also the, the the budget to be able to rely on that, especially with indie indie scene, which is amazing in itself. So uh, so hopefully we will see more and more of that uh, growing, and and that will actually become something that audiences will respond to as well. It's a few good points. And I think just the idea of like the, the changes uh, that are happening, like to not necessarily move away from shooting, but explore other ways you can get conflict in a video game uh, narrative. And uh, like Jasmine touched on it, the idea that like conflict doesn't necessarily mean physical conflict, or you both touched on it actually, that conflict doesn't necessarily mean physical uh, conflict. There are other ways you can have conflict in a story where I guess ultimately it's like your the character 
in this case the player you're playing uh, as wants something and something stops them from getting that so yeah it could be like a <laughs> thematic thing just a, a battle of ideals um that you play out in a video game scenario that could be a, a an interesting one in terms of games that are that use interaction uh to create interesting narratives does anyone have any examples of like non-violent video games where like the way you interact is how there is some conflict but it's not necessarily shooting i've recently been playing uh life is strange uh, i also mentioned little nightmares but life is strange was interesting to me because it was but have has everyone played it or um i don't know who I has and who hasn't played it a big chunk of it okay i have i finished i still haven't played it yet it's yeah it's pretty good i i like it. i don't know what you think of that for those who have played it and and the way it takes on a uh, a situation where there is conflict but there isn't any kind of violence and certainly at least up until what i've played uh no one's shoot well <laughs> i say that but no it's not centered around shooting yeah i mean i think life is strange is a really cool example uh because it does even by its premise and its conceit is somebody that's you know college age high school age actually high school age right yeah who's a student and you know by that definition we don't typically think of you know students that are kitted out and ready to you know jump into battle Go and jump war, out yeah. of, exactly <laughs> like you know hop out of helicopters uh, at least we hope not so <laughs> to actually see uh you know just kind of an everyday person that people can relate to in max be able to have you know this extraordinary set of circumstances happen to her and i won't spoil too much of the plot but you know the ways that she's able to use the powers that she's given to make decisions that might seem inconsequential in the moment you know whether you you know go left or go right you pick you know up or down and in that moment it might feel like oh okay it's just a slight little wrinkle to see then that it actually does have that knock-on effect and keeps with the thematic underpinning of consequence is really interesting and really refreshing uh i do have some qualms with the actual writing because i think it's really well done but i think some in some instances at least i don't think we've quite mastered writing youth <laughs> but okay. besides that structurally it's an amazing game and i think it's a really satisfying experience for people that are looking for something a little bit different yeah what did you think about it tazzy for the amount that you have played um first of all i love anything that plays with time as yeah. a general mechanic and like story device so yeah i enjoyed it like um it it's nice to have that my one sort of issue with that game in particular and games that run off that like similar style is uh for someone like me who really struggles to uh keep up with like text and um a lot like of text in game. yeah processing the information it really re relies on you needing to process that information really quickly and remember it for the next time you play and if you're playing a lot of games <laughs> you jump into like the next episode and you're like wait what happened last time like where was i and then so it's really hard to like follow the narrative and then it makes it frustrating as a player to be like wait where was i like what kind of player was i playing so yeah that was like my one irritation i'm like the games need to have a here's what you've done here's what you're doing and like if you need it slower you can have it slower like <laughs> uh that's a good point though because 
one of the things I'm slightly worried about because uh, it's been a, a while. So I'm working my way through it. It's been a while since I've gone back to it because I've been playing other uh, other things. So now, because it's so dependent on remembering how you interact with characters previously to keep that sort of kind of consistent sort of choice for the character you're playing uh, playing as, I'm like, oh, am I going <laughs> to forget something and then just mess up my relationship with someone I feel like I already did that once at a key moment, but uh, so that's an interesting point. If they give you like um, like in shows, you get a quick recap just before it goes into it. Here's here's how you played. Or like Majora's Mask, you kind of have the bomber's notebook. I mean, I have qualms of that as well, but it's something. <laughs> how about you, Corey? But I don't know if, if you haven't played this game, but for any other uh, examples of uh, non-conflict-based video games uh, that have good narratives gonna be talking about Oberdin again um <laughs> yeah tell us about this because I've, I've not played this and i've not even heard of it when you mentioned it so i made a note yeah it's uh to be honest i mean it passed me by when it first came out so the the general idea about it is that you're investigating a 19th century merchant ship which has been missing for i think about five years and it suddenly reappeared uh, with all of its crew and its passengers dead so actually the conflict has already happened to a certain degree the motivation is that you're kind of like supposed to try and find out everything that's happened and then the more you find out the the better the ending of the game will be but in the process of you having to discover what happened to each person and you're revealing the the mystery of the events which led to their deaths by using this kind of magic pocket watch which allows you to relive the significant events you start working out this the horrors of what happened and what happened to the people why they did the things they did and and none of it is shown in a way which is animated you actually when you use the pocket watch it reveals the event in this kind of like frozen diorama kind of moment um, which is really haunting because it's usually at the moment of death um, with the crew with certain members of the crew you start piecing things together and when you put the the plot line of it you know from a to z together it's relatively basic but it's told in a non-linear way and it's constantly asking the player these questions what happened how did this happen why did this happen in a very kind of detective way um, and it uses a lot of visual storytelling as well to to kind of like suggest certain things rather than spell them out for you so all these little small details that you notice in the individuals themselves are, are totally essential to how you play the game and you're essentially just looking for clues all the time you're following these ghostly traces around the ship and flicking through the ship's manifest to kind of match names to the potential victims that are there really really intense at times and it's stuck with me for a very very long period of time because of the way it portrays the story and the way it kind of involves you in making you feel the conflict without the actual conflict being kind of like you being actually part of it in itself um really really clever so yeah definitely it's become one of my favorite games you'll play for it once and then you'll probably don't need to play for it again but it, it's that one experience in itself which is just phenomenal it does look really interesting got an interesting visual style so that i assume sort of matches with the narrative yeah yeah it's uh, i mean it's all done by pretty much one person lucas pope um and you, you kind of wonder where he get the time and uh, and kept his sanity by you know making games is difficult in itself but doing all of these things at one time uh, it's just incredible in itself so i'm just uh, looking at some of the images it just looks like a yeah unique and like you say like with the sort of more indie side of things there's room to experiment with different ways of like interaction and different stories that uh, come from that one of the things that i um that always comes to mind when i think like non-violent uh, conflict is the portal series of games or those portal one and portal two so i don't know if uh, anyone's played those but that 
is even a case where you you do have that first person perspective and you do have the it feels like a sort of like a shooter in terms of the perspective and the fact that there's a a weapon in your hands but it just goes in a different direction by having that weapon be a portal gun uh, and the 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 uh the mechanic being more puzzle based so you're using this gun to shoot portals uh to solve puzzles and then it wraps a uh, an amazing narrative uh, and a funny narrative which is hard to do like comedy is hard to do <laughs> just because it's so subjective but it does that so well wraps this narrative that is almost i mean i don't remember when the games were first released um but it's, it still holds today like the the character glados the cake is alive all those things kind of stick with you culturally so it's that kind of game that is like broken out into just a game and now it's like a at least in the context of video games i don't know yeah <laughs> i'm sure if you said the cake is alive to the average person in the street they'd still look at you weird but in the context of video games uh it has brought that broken through like that yeah i mean i would even posit that the game doesn't even have to necessarily be non-violent to still present an interesting method of interaction i don't know if you guys have played the outlast games at all i okay. played a little bit of it Already, if you can't count the <laughs> prologue as uh, playing them, then uh, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it still counts. Um, I'm a bit of a horror junkie, so like I like to look at the ways that horror games and you know, horror films, any sort of thing in the horror genre, really explores you know, agency. Uh, and I think horror games are an interesting test case because you know, depending on the situation you're, you know, dropped into, yes, you could be a person in a Resident Evil game, you know, that has military training or more recently doesn't, but, you know, still has guns and all that stuff. And you still have those traditional, you know, conflict-based mechanics baked in. But I think Outlast is a really interesting case because at least in the first game, you are a reporter who's, you know, walking into this asylum to investigate, you know, wrongdoing that's going on and, you know, mistreatment of patients and all that stuff. And, you know, you're armed with nothing but a camera, which is kind of, I guess, sort of like a weapon if the intent is to then publicize everything, which it is. But you have no sort of combat skill. You have no sort of expertise in, you know, melee or anything that makes a lot of video game protagonists viable your only goal is to hide and to survive and i think to that end the way that they weave the camera mechanic into the game in which you're supposed to actually piece together the narrative by shining a light and actually you know turning the camera on and filming these horrific events which in some cases you know he can't prevent he can't you know intervene in uh is really interesting because then you get a journal that you're able to kind of read Miles's uh, kind of emotional process and emotional uh, deconstruction of the event, which is pretty cool. I think it's uh, interesting to be able to shine a light, see something absolutely horrific, and then be able to kind of process the narrative separately while also still fearing for your life. Mm. Uh, yeah, I, I, I agree to some extent. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe just because I don't like horrors. But yeah, because I, I, so I played a bit of the first Outlast and mm -hmm. a bit of the second Outlast. Um, and the second one, you know, you're still a reporter and then you just like, you end up in this situation, which is pretty messed up. And really <laughs> you have to up. use a camera. I really like the use of like cameras in horror games because I also recently, well, actually, I say recently, it was two years ago now, um, played the Blair Witch 
game, mm. uh, which also uses like a camera to figure out puzzles and to see things. Uh, like you have camera footage and then you see like what happened before, which is like a really cool mechanic. I just wish that it happened in non-horror games. <laughs> because the idea that you're under this intensely frustrating like intensely like like life-threatening situation and you wouldn't pick up a weapon is just like no that's actually crazy who who would do that it's unrealistic you would try and defend yourself and like but yeah i i but i love the mechanics that they put in because of that uh i'd like it to to see those in like more happy games with bright colors and i'm not just scared <laughs> <laughs> yeah I've, oh, I've not i've not played that game but i like the idea of this uh, so is the camera the the way you interact with the world in that yeah so at certain points uh like crucial points in the story you're asked to it'll basically tell you in the beginning of the game that you should have your camera out to record anything that's you know really important and then later in the game if you haven't been because you know the natural instinct is to just run and get the hell out of there it'll tell you, it'll kind of prompt you with a little uh, camera icon to kind of take it out and, you know, you can piece the story together through those moments. And then oh, instead yeah. of having, like, a weapon that you have to reload, you're, like, yeah. looking out for batteries because you need to keep your camera crop charged and for some <laughs> reason you didn't start with a full battery. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe the, the game started at the end of the workday. So it was like... No, no, was, no. It always oh, starts when they're going into it. <laughs> So they should have a full battery. There you go. That's, there you go. that's just good preparation, uh, really. I've been on enough photo shoots to know you yeah. have to come with a spare battery at least. <laughs> <laughs> What's also interesting about that um, scenario from the sounds of it is that you're in this situation where, like Tazzy says, that you'd think you want to defend yourself. So I guess the one is like, is is there like that possibility to switch mechanics? I know the development side of things, that's like a, a challenge in itself, but uh, having that. But then... Like we've talked about video games and offering that perspective or, or that concept of agency uh, in the game where, so on one level, you're playing as the protagonist. So it's kind of you as a story that is from your perspective, not just the main character's perspective. But then even beyond that, you have this agency of what can I do in this scenario? So uh, like Jasmine, you mentioned um, Outlast, but then also... Uh, compare that with Resident Evil where sort of similar uh, scenario in terms of a scary situation but in for the majority of Resident Evil games you have more agency in, that, in terms of you can like defend yourself when you you play as a character who can defend themselves and you can sort of fight back versus I just have a camera and in the story I'm, I'm that type of person who might not even if the mechanic was there to pick up a weapon, I might not be the best trained. Um, and you know, you've seen it in films where like the, the person who's more of a danger to, to others than, than any kind of like uh, adeptness uh, uh, using a weapon. So that's interesting where the mechanic can then, like I said, like play into the narrative that you're trying to tell. So if you're the person with the camera, you might not be the, the weapons expert. So you might not even be able to uh, have that much agency in this situation in the story. Sorry, there's one more game that I want to mention, and it's Journey to the Savage Planet, where you land on random planet, and you're trying to figure out the life on this planet and get the resources, because your ship cannot fly at the moment, uh, resources to like fix your ship, essentially. But it does have like a little bit of shooting, 
but it also has um like different things you have to find in the environment different um plants like one uses like a grapple there's one that like makes things bouncy and you have to use these to like get around the planet as well as use the creatures to unlock certain things and you have to like identify them as well and get samples and it's just like this really fun game where you don't actually have to do that much shooting and there's all these things to sort of interact with and you have to figure out as well like lots of hidden things to try and figure out how you get there and how you how you unlock that what type of character are you like in in that narrative you're a space person (laughs) 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 so you you're just this uh aircraft pilot i guess um and you're you've been sent out to explore these other planets i can't remember why um like set in the future yeah Um, and you're kind of like a nameless faceless character you're just like uh like you know you're you work for a company they don't really care about you so it's kind of like a a shell and you you is is it one of those where you you put more of yourself into the character rather than it's fully formed with the backstory and everything it's more of a vehicle for you to now start interacting with the world yeah you're kind of just there doing doing your job really which unfortunately has gone wrong and you have to to correct it sounds interesting all right so i, I wanted to touch on the mechanics uh, of um, putting together a video game narrative and um, so we talked about like you know how you might interact and different ways to interact um but i'm always curious about how it's actually made uh, like how how you put together these narratives so like i mentioned uh, at the top both jasmine and Corey are uh, involved in that design process so the question for both of you is just what stage of the overall video game development does narrative design come in at and who are the other teams uh, in a in a sort of video game studio say that you would interact with as a narrative designer or writer Salid, i'm really interested to hear Corey on this <laughs> <laughs> the problem i've got is that i have to tiptoe around my nda because it's like um i'm like right now i'm Give us a hypothetical. <laughs> yeah yeah hypothetically speaking in the game um so yeah so i've been lucky enough because i'm working technically i'm working on two games directly so it's the silver rain games title and windrush tales um which is kind of like being co-developed with uh, Shella Ramanan, uh, Claire Morwood, and Naima uh, Ramanan as well. And basically, I've been lucky enough to be involved um, with both of those projects. I've been lucky enough to be involved either at the start or at a really, really early stage, which is, from what I understand, not necessarily the, a common thing in the games industry. I know there's certainly been a um, an expectation that for a long time um, narrative designers and writers were brought in towards the back end of the development process. That still does happen with some um, some games where it's not as important or they devalue the craft itself. But with a lot of games now having a stronger sense of narrative importance, they do tend to be involved at earlier stages. Um, the ones that are very narrative driven especially some of the bigger studios so we're talking you know the usual santa monica studio the the naughty dogs any kind of like square enix final fantasy sort of thing those are naturally going to have narrative involvement very early on and what that tends to mean is that you work exceptionally close with almost all departments but especially the art and design departments 
the latter is really important because it's like in as a narrative designer role it's you're always having to think of things from the design perspective as equally as the writing perspective you're always trying to consider how things affect gameplay but you're also trying to think about like okay so do certain assets need to be created really early on you know are there certain characters that need to be kind of like push up front and center are they going to be complicated you know how much is everything going to cost and all these different aspects are kind of like part of that so yeah personally speaking it's like it's been wonderful to be part of that process early on because you get to you get to understand like okay the design decisions you also get to input on the design decisions and work out exactly what gameplay mechanics are important and how they factor into the narrative itself and you get this wonderful feedback loop where you know you're creating documents you're creating massive amounts of documents for the game itself and the designers are feeding back, the artists are feeding back, they're giving their own kind of like interpretation of characters, of level designs and everything else. And you're constantly having this kind of back and forth over how things look, how things feel, how they're going to affect the player. This is actually something that, personally speaking as well, given having worked in comic books, it's nice to have that that sense of whatever I put out there is going to go through the prism of someone else's imagination. And that is especially true in in video games. It's like, if you can't work with other people and understand that what you have in your head may not be this, um, you know, absolutely flawless gem to another person. Yeah. <laughs> uh, as much as you might convince yourself otherwise. Yeah, yeah, it, exactly. It's like you, you understand the nature of collaboration and that it's important that the, the designers and the artists and the animators all have their different interpretations of what they may feel is important to bring out for the characters and for everything else that comes within. And if you got a, I mean, in our particular case um, at Silver Rain, Abubakar is our uh, creative designer as well as CEO and uh, Mel Phillips, is our studio head and they both have input on on certain aspects of of the creations that we're putting together and you know your, your stuff is going through literally you know it can go through dozens of people at some point but that is part of the process in itself and if you're lucky enough to have the opportunity to have something there from the base level even if what comes out at the end isn't what you had at that beginning start it's still a very privileged position to be part of because there are a lot of studios out there that don't have that which i can imagine is very frustrating <laughs> I mean, at least my experience has been somewhat different. Uh, Corey, you mentioned being brought on in the middle to end stages and then being asked to kind of almost backwards uh, or reverse engineer uh, a story around a mechanic or a game or concept. And I think, you know, there is sometimes a tendency to, uh, as you said, kind of devalue narrative or kind of not include it in the process. But I'm a big advocate for kind kind of, you know, banging uh, a drum early as possible and sounding the alarm as early as possible because a lot of things that are you know thought of as inconsequential or small or you know minor decisions that any other department might make whether that's design art ai audio code whoever can actually have you know larger ramifications for the immersion uh, of a player in a narrative in a story and can kind of sometimes contradict the story you're trying to tell. So I totally agree that, you know, to the best of any sort of team's ability that it behooves them to keep narrative in the loop and involve them in those discussions early because you know, they're they're part of the team and they're trying to make a cohesive player experience. And yeah, like you say, it's, it's always been there. Even when you brought up Asteroids as a game in that era where there was not such a focus on narrative, 
but as you described it, sort of you put in your own narrative onto the mechanics of the game you were playing when it wasn't there explicitly. So it's kind of even though it wasn't there, it was always there. Does that make sense? You always there's always some kind of there's some reason, like just as humans, there's like, what does this mean? <laughs> like well, I'm doing this thing and it and the mechanics are cool, but what does it mean? So if the the narrative isn't wasn't there explicitly, you as a player would create it and maybe someone else who comes along uh, also plays the game would have a slightly different narrative. So yeah, I think it's just good that we're seeing that that importance sort of come to the forefront a bit more. Yeah, it's it's nice to have that, and uh, I mean, with asteroids, it's like you're literally controlling a triangle, and there's lots yeah, of blocks exactly. around you. <laughs> and older games had to do that because it was just like there wasn't the technology to to create anything particularly complex. But it's um, that that's the wonder of it. It's why we naturally tend to impose story and narrative to things that may not necessarily, like you said, explicitly have it. And that just goes to show the the power of of narrative of story. And what the importance it is to us as individuals. It's uh, if it's not there, we'll we'll put it on. Yeah, definitely. And speaking of, uh, so we touched on agency, and uh, we just had a question. So we got a couple of questions. This these actually came from, uh, I think last uh, last couple of months we did a live stream actually talking about mental health in gaming. But one of the panelists uh, was Ed Stern, who's a narrative designer at Splash Damage. So we got a couple questions just speaking about narrative design. I thought I'd bring them up here uh, just to uh, get the thoughts of Jasmine and Corey. So they are both from Halley 9104 uh, and the first question is do you think the agency in gaming helps in a narrative selling the power fantasy and or the powerlessness of horror situations and with that, would more immersive and interactive games increase that feeling of agency or just general feelings? What do you think, Jasmine? I think, yeah. I mean, I think agency does help sell the power of the game and the immersion of the game. And, you know, as we said at the outset, it's one of those things like when you marry the mechanics of game and game story that it creates a very immersive and unique experience that you can't get in a lot of other media. So I do think that agency, especially the degree of agency that a character has, can help in terms of establishing, you know, tone, can help in, you know, kind of cementing it in the genre for whatever kind of game it is. So uh, in the example, you know, horror uh, versus something that might be more of a first person shooter or an adventure game. Uh, and I do think that the level of immersion and interaction can be heightened in very interesting and different ways, but I do believe that there's likely a threshold uh, as to how much that can kind of go forward, how much that can kind of be pushed in certain uh, aspects, mainly because if you look at things like uh, agency in a survival game, right? Like let's take Ark or any other, you know, Don't Starve, any sort of survival game you do have a high degree of agency in terms of what you do with your time in terms of you know kind of what you're able to do and sometimes there are narrative you know quests or missions or things that you will you know follow uh in terms of creating a story for yourself but there is uh, a high level of interactivity and almost immersion with just basic like mechanics like food water air etc and i think to that degree um, that can almost get distracting if there are other priorities that the game is trying to balance. Uh, let's say a plot, let's say, you know, missions or specific, you know, looter, uh, loot or, um, you know, kind of 
oh goodness, rewards um, and other priorities that it has. So I think uh, that there definitely is room for more interactivity and more immersion and more uh, kind of agency in a game. It's just a question of balancing what the core tenets and core principles and core aims of the game are uh, against, you know, the level of agency and interactivity you're going to give a game character. Yeah, I get that. Because I, I guess at the end of the day, you have to tell a story. So it's like, what's important for the story? And then what do you yeah. give to the player to be aware of within the story? I completely agree with that. I know some games, sometimes you're trying to play like a survival game and you might be trying to create your own narrative. And if the server settings are, you know, super survival and you're like, I literally have to eat every two seconds. There's no way I can focus <laughs> on doing literally anything else. <laughs> it's also nice to have that in in a game where you are fuller in a narrative um so that balance is like really important yeah it's something i, I agree i agree with all of you it's um it's it's quite interesting to see as well the correlation between agency and tension because you have something like for example the classic power fantasy of spider-man and in marvel spider-man you have like this huge moveset and this freedom of movement and a sense of control of everything you do and you feel powerful and in you know the storyline is generally quite linear but you're feeling involved in the day-to-day -day actions of everything there and then you do have things like survival horror and horror games and stuff and and like traditionally you know way way back it's like the way that they could convey that because the visuals themselves were great or you know horrific enough unless it's 3d monster maze which still gives me nightmares it's you just restrict the movement and you restrict the the level of control and the number of actions that the player can do and you make sure that everything feels more powerful than you and then like you can have alternatives i'm, I'm glad you mentioned don't starve jasmine because it's one of my favorite games because i'm uh, an absolute i <laughs> i'm a masochist i just like i love games which which are like that <laughs> But it's a game where, like you say, you have a lot of different mechanics going on. You have a lot of things that you can do, but the way that they reduce the amount of power, even though you have a certain degree of agency, is you know, they just overwhelm you with everything. <laughs> so everything and anything can kill you at any time. And it's like you can just be walking along trying to collect flowers and then something will come out of the ground and try to eat you. And there's that sense of unpredictability and, and tension, which is always there with you. It's really interesting to see how those elements change and kind of like reflect the the level of tension in there because as a player you do naturally want agency you want to have control and you want to have choice even though a lot of it is the illusion of choice uh, yeah. given to you but the way that is controlled and, and funneled for the player is is very much down to how much of the elements that you can't control have control over you um and it can really create a very confining experience um, by contrast to other games where like you basically increase the severity of the consequences for the player and the more you increase it the more kind of like dangerous it becomes it's the classic kind of like you know stealth genre where you know you have a moderate amount of tools to deal with the threats that are there but you reduce how often you can actually use them and when you do use them if you don't use them in the correct way or a sneaky way then the severity of consequence is extremely high it's like the alarms start going off you get overwhelmed by other kind of like npcs and enemies so yeah, it is really, really interesting how that kind of kind of forms together to to create a certain atmosphere because agency is such a vital part of of games in general. Yeah, that's a really good thing you bring up in in terms of like the stealth because it's different game scenarios. You want to construct different levels of agency. So 
in a stealth game, if you're detected and like you say you get uh, you know a swarm of NPCs and you have limited tool set to deal with that, so you kind of get towards a, a game over scenario. Whereas in something like Call of Duty, that same number of enemies is like cannon fodder because <laughs> you have the tools to, to to deal with to deal with that. So it's like constructing the the level of agency that fits for the game and the story that you're trying to tell. That actually kind of leads me to one of the questions I wanted to to ask, and I think it also came up in this in this talk and. Recently, I did a uh, online session in, with a college um, that was had a game design course. Um, so just talked about storytelling in general, but uh, linked it to sort of video games. And I asked the, the group, like, what do you know about ludonarrative dissonance? Uh, and this came up in our previous uh, panel. I think also Hallie asked about it and how do you deal with it? Uh, and I was surprised that the group actually had never heard of it or they, they said they never heard of it i kind of want i thought that would have been on the syllabus somewhere but so i wanted to talk about that and i bring it up in terms of how to to deal with that so i want to put that question to both jasmine and corey but the, the other reason i want to bring it up and corey mentioned the last of us part two so in terms of this idea that the the distance between the i guess the the game that you're being told uh, the game and the story that you've been told and the actions that you're taking uh, and the distance between that. Uh, before I actually continue, let me just make sure I've got that right, that description right. Is that an accurate description or how would you both describe uh, ludonarrative dissonance when it comes to uh, writing for video games? Sounds about right to me. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I remember like thinking about it in terms of Uncharted where you play as a guy who's a, a good guy and he's doing the right thing and then when you finish the game, it gives you like stats. And one of the stats is how many people you killed. And there's like 600 people <laughs> like killed over the course of the game. <laughs> I was like, whoa, that's like, I thought I was a good guy. <laughs> so is that, that, that's an example of like ludonarrative dissonance where, yeah, what you do in the game doesn't quite match up <laughs> to what the game is telling you. So yeah, in the context of The Last of Us, uh, sticking with Naughty Dog, Last of Us Part 2, not to sort of give all uh, that happens in that game, but uh, something that, uh, I read and I, for the life of me, I can't remember where I read this. I'm going to try, if I can find it, I'll put it in the show notes. But it brought up this idea of, of ludonarrative dissonance in that game where you have a situation where uh, you're descending into this sort of revenge quest and it's sort of emotionally quite heavy. And they were saying that didn't quite match up with you progressing through the game and essentially getting better what you're doing uh, which is a lot of killing uh, spoiler alert <laughs> so you get you know sort of different weapons or power-ups or things like that and it's kind of a disconnect and they suggested this idea of what would happen if you in a way got worse as you sort of descended into that and and how that would look and how that would perhaps better match with the narrative of the game but i don't know how that would impact on the player experience Maybe, Corey, you want to give your thoughts on what the challenges are um, when trying to match the player experience and that agency with the game story that you're trying to tell? Yeah, it's, uh, it's not easy to get yeah. around that. It's, um, the problem that we have is, is going back to the agency and the player control issue, is that as a player, the arc of where you are from the start of the game has to be 
different enough by the end of the game because naturally you get better at the game and your character as a result becomes more competent regardless of whether you like it or not the character becomes more competent because you've become more competent uh, at the game and the mechanics and if you are trying to tell a story where there is that um psychological change it's exceptionally difficult to to track that because psychological psychological changes are difficult anyway and Naughty Dog games do tend to get picked out because of this, because they are so strong in their in the narrative, in their storytelling. And part of the issue is that it's a bit like I'm gonna use the film analogy again, so apologies. It's in a in a movie, in a pure action movie, like like from the eighties, you've like Arnie or, you know, Stallone or what have you, you know, they can mow down tons of people. And the story is still relatively light and deemed as justifiable within the universe itself because they want to tell a a fairly kind of like, not necessarily lighthearted story, but something that isn't necessarily serious. You can get away with it. You can just about get away with it. With video games, enemies are deemed as the, the main obstacle. And to, especially in today's video games, where they need to be a certain length a lot of the time, you need to pad them out with lots of enemies because if you're not constantly padded out with enemies, then there's a fear that the, the game is going to get bored or you're trapped within the genre you know if you change if you take out the number of enemies from say the last of us part two or uncharted then they're no longer they don't necessarily especially uncharted become the genres that you would expect them to be within you know you can get things like last guardian and shadow of the colossus where the action is less frequent but they would be deemed as different genres compared to what would be the expectation of say an uncharted game and when you have a games which deal in life and death, and those things are a direct part of the gameplay loop, which is always going to be central to the game itself, that core loop of do something, do something else, do it again, keep on doing it till the game ends, you know, no matter how you wrap it up into it. Unless you change that core element to the game, you generally have to let it go because the game loop or the core mechanic tends to be, on a scale, generally a little bit more important than story cohesion. And a bit of inside baseball as well. It's like, you know, based on, you know, my experiences in like PlayStation and other companies as well, you have to look at the budget as well. It's Yeah, yeah, that's a good point. <laughs> it's mm-hmm. it's a big it's a big kind of double edged sword because you have a budget say you have the budget of say something like Marvel Studios film, both the audience and the financiers will kind of expect to see that money on the screen. They wanna see spectacle they want to be special effects and action and all the other expectations that come to the genre and that does have the same effect in video games as well so you might get the occasional outlier i mean the last of us 2 is i think someone has described it as a indie revenge thriller with a triple a budget and that's pretty good description i think in that respect it's there's not the sort of story that you tend to get for the budget that it has if you try to scale it compared to say other mediums but it's really difficult to reconcile those factors because AAA games cost billions of money. And it's like, if you have billions of money then and you take away all the enemies out of those games, then it's like, okay, so where's the money going again? It's like, yeah, we can pay for like, you know, Ashley Johnson and all the other great actors that are part of this and, and all that. But what's the player doing? You'll always have the question of what's the player doing? What's the game loop? Are they doing this? Is it just, you know, are you just getting a story out? It's, what are you actually doing? What's the intention? What's the aim? And unfortunately, those things are going to grind against each other. And it is really, really tricky to, to get that balance. And I don't think there's going to be any immediate answer to the narrative dissonance while those factors are still there until it starts to balance out a little bit more. 
you'll probably get it better answers more towards the indie side of things where external factors are less of a pressure by comparison um but you're not going to get incredible motion captured graphics and like hollywood actors involved in that sort of thing typically speaking so it's a bit of give or take i think i know it doesn't mm. necessarily answer the entire part of the question but but yeah no, it's, that's good insight because that that is the reality of the situation especially you know as you go up the a's and you start adding a's and you get to triple a um where yeah there are those other considerations in terms of like because ultimately you're making the game to then sell the game and that means who are we selling it to what's their expectation and then how does that feedback into that game so like you say yeah you might have to and because it's like players like doing something so you might have a game where the narrative is someone who is I don't know, the retired war hero that's been pulled back into the conflict, but they're reluctant to take part because they've seen the horrors of war. So the, the character in the story is reluctant, but you have just spent, I don't know, 60, 70, even 70 pounds on this game. You want to do some stuff. And you're, <laughs> this game's about shooting. I need to shoot some people. So even that, just fundamentally, uh, can yeah. have that, that dissonance. So you have that and then the other kind of economic factors as well so yeah i think there's no like easy answer to it. i think it's like how you work around it as with many things in anything like you know creative making things how you how do you compromise <laughs> so that you're serving the story as best as you can yeah when i thought of that that body count at the end of my chart it was like wow how does that that does not add up at all the next game should be about someone taking me down because i was just like uh the, the horror the families the, the, anyway i don't want to think about it too much uh, <laughs> <laughs> just gotta hope they had no family that's that's how i sleep at night basically like they had this coming there's no one waiting for them at that home at the end of the day uh i can i can sleep okay we're good <laughs> another thing that i wanted to touch on before we think about like you know future of, of narrative design is just other ways you can tell a story so other than the the plot so the, the literal like dialogue the the, the action and uh, Tazzy you mentioned Bioshock uh, earlier which I think is a great example of like environmental storytelling where you're in a situation I'm thinking I haven't played the most recent one but the first one where you have a situation where you can there could be no dialogue in that game and you still have a good sense of what's happening so for you as you were playing that game like what was it about that game that drew you into it so much in terms of the story i guess for me it was just this pool of like curiosity of like why because you kind of get you're kind of like just thrown in it and you don't have much backstory and you mm. have to kind of go forward to understand what has happened and how we got to where we are and then just so i'm just trying to refresh my memory of like the the whole game because it, it it does it pretty well and puts you in a place where because from what i remember you're you've come at obviously the <laughs> the the downfall of this particular society it does a really good job of showing you what has just happened so i think you come in at uh, a new year mm. new year's eve of, the, of a previous year so there's obviously some kind of celebration that was happening uh, it's clearly some kind of high society in terms of the decor around, but there's been some kind of breakdown because of then you get the enemies, uh, and like you say, you don't get the, you don't get the I don't know the Star Wars like crawl where it says you know in this year this happened and and such and such said that and that, but 
you get pieces of information. So as well as the environment, you get like the the recordings that kind of piece together, allow you to piece together what's happened. So it's like you don't even need to have it spelt out. Uh, and that kind of goes to sort of being active in the story of you're putting together this these information to paint a picture of a story that you're actively part of as well as actually controlling the character. But you're actually like putting together uh, the story as you play it. Yeah, and I think the way you you kind of, I guess, level up as a player, as your character, like each thing sort of is part of the story. So you like will unlock a certain skill or mechanic and that will be like directly linked to the story itself. Yeah, I forgot about it. And then because you, you get the like the power-ups and um, I forgot what they're called, but you kind of inject yourself Aspects. with... Yeah. And then the, the little sisters or the big sisters. The little sisters and the big... big brothers big big daddy big daddy, daddy. yeah, yeah. <laughs> okay, go back, go back to wwf i can't remember that's not <laughs> but yeah i think that i think you're right though so yeah that's like a good example so um I mean, like jasmine that's one example i mean f- for you what are uh, other good examples of sort of telling a story without you know without relying solely on like the plot or dialogue all right i was waiting for this one so <laughs> I am a huge From Software game fan. Um, I'm not good at all of them. Uh, I'm decent at Bloodborne and bad at the others. But even so, like, Bloodborne is definitely one of my favorite games. But I think it presents a very interesting uh, twist on storytelling uh, that you don't get, you know, or is not as commonly found in that it's very entrenched and it doesn't kind of hold your hand. You're dropped into this world, it's hostile, it's mean, it's dark, it's cosmic, it's scary. But if you look hard enough, you can actually see the world changing, seeing the world adapt to you, see, you know, the impact that your gameplay and that your hunt really has on the universe. So uh, for those, I guess, that aren't familiar, the premise of Bloodborne is that you're dropped into this Lovecraftian-esque city. Uh, called Yarnum, and you are tasked with kind of killing beasts and going on what is called a hunt. Uh, and essentially, you're hunting down these people, these creatures that have been turned by this alien blood force and essentially trying to stop the chaos. In uh, actually going about that, it's interesting because From Software has, you know, the infamous labels whenever you kill something. So let's say you defeat a boss, right? Sometimes it'll say, you know, nightmare slain or prey slaughtered or, you know, something else that is might seem innocuous at first. But if you read the item descriptions, if you listen to some of the dialogue from, you know, the people roaming the streets um, or, you know, you just kind of take a second to even like look around for little pieces of, you know, buildings or statues or things, you can start to piece together the story. And it's actually really interesting because as you go along, there's a primary currency, which is blood echoes. Then there's the secondary currency, which is insight. You can actually get a different kind of storytelling experience uh, depending on how you play. So if you have higher insight, uh, for instance, you'll hear a different soundtrack. You might hear different dialogue from the characters. As you go forward in the game, you'll, uh, and kill more and more bosses or creatures, you go back to old parts of the game to either, you know, farm again or grind again because it is a very grind-centric game. 
uh, you'll go back to these older areas that you ran through before and people might be scared of you. Or you might hear, you know, someone say, oh, the night is upon us or the sky might look different or, you know, you'll pick up a different item in a place than you did before. And I think it's that level of interactivity from the world um, that has narrative input in it and definitely has a narrative steer that makes it so interesting because not only are you allowed to kind of sometimes come to your own conclusions, but you're also provided with kind of the narrative framework for this world. And, you know, you see yourself go through it and eventually you kind of see yourself become a monster within it. And it's really interesting to see, you know, kind of how that structure and how that story is relayed through uh, the world and the game. Yeah, I've not played that game, but that sounds like a really interesting take on it. You're kind of making your own story within the the kind of the game world, but not to the extent of like a GTA where you're literally just <laughs> going about and doing doing anything. <laughs> yeah, no, it's not as uh, open, but it's definitely got its elements of a role play, which I think are pretty interesting from a story perspective. Oh, I like that. So I've not played Ghost of uh, Tsushima yet. Again, the list is on it. But does that do any kind of similar thing where I know it's very takes place in a certain time, a certain location. Is there an element of like sort of making your own story there or, or is that very much following the narrative? No, it's definitely it follows a narrative uh, okay. more, but there are kind of it's got a high degree of cultural authenticity in terms of how the maps displayed, how you level up, uh, how you even navigate to like quest areas. Uh, extras are kind of advertised or not advertised are kind of like signaled to the player um as you know spirits or creatures and i think it's it's a really interesting way of presenting it okay yeah i because i got that impression that there is a there's definitely a narrative but it it does well with using other elements of the game to sort of like further that narrative and really hammer on on those themes yeah definitely Mm. And it's it's on the list. It will it will get played. <laughs> uh, we're working through that. Um, so cool. All right. Um, so then you know we've covered like different aspects of narrative design in video games. I always like to like look forward uh, when we do these things. So looking at how things can change, and particularly if, if you're someone listening to this who isn't yet in the, in the industry, who would one day want to be, how things might change by the time. Uh, you're you're in it and and making these kind of decisions. So I just open this out to to anyone who wants to uh, take it. But what kind of like what kind of narratives do you think can still come, particularly in this generation of gaming, that are different than what we've seen uh, up until now? Or what kind would you like to see? I would probably. I think we're starting to see um, more games which deal with topics um which typically tend to be either used in a kind of i guess metaphorical way or or talked around and get to actually approach them a little bit more head-on um the example that i think is is always going to be at the forefront of my mind is um before i forget which is created by my friends that working on windrush games uh sheller and and claire um by freefold games um and that deals with dementia and having to kind of like what's it's like to kind of put you in the in the headspace of somebody that is suffering from dementia and using mm-hmm. again environmental storytelling to to explore the difficulties and the the heartbreaking kind of conflicts and and complications that uh, that come with with having to deal with something like that and 
I think there's there's more, and this is definitely within the indie scene where you tend to see that sort of thing approached more and, and have more narrative that is open and willing to look outside of the norms and the expectations of what we have, especially in the mainstream. But I also think it's amazing to be able to think about how innovative um, storytelling is going to become in terms of putting the player in the place um, of, of what they're experiencing. When you, when you match these new technological advances with the ideas of like exploring things like diversity and self-awareness and disease and afflictions and stuff like that. And you can have uh, this space where very, very powerful storytelling can be created and the range of stories can be a lot richer and can speak to a broader spectrum of people as well um, as we go along. And we're no longer having to look at one corner of the industry to get that experience. We're starting to get a lot more kind of publishers and developers wanting to explore that. Um, you know, whether whether you like it or not, and when I say you, I mean people in general. Not me specifically. Yeah, yeah. whether <laughs> when you like it or not, Nigel. <laughs> I don't care if this is I'll your podcast. You. Though, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, whether, whether people like it or not, um, The Last of Us 2 is an exceptionally powerful example of thematic storytelling. And it's, I wouldn't necessarily say it's super innovative in, in that respect, but it is exceptionally effective and really powerful in what it's done um, because it's combined a lot of different elements there together, you know, world-class voice acting and brilliant visuals and physics, brilliant audio design, some really thoughtful at times storytelling and all, all these elements are kind of mixed in. Naturally, they have a ridiculous budget to play with, but the fact that they were given a ridiculous budget to play with for this what is quite a relatively intimate story when you break it down to the bare bones of it is is quite astonishing in itself and it's exciting to see that bigger companies are taking notice and we're not seeing the usual kind of like dude bro protagonists in every single big budget game now we're actually seeing a lot more diverse range of games we still could do a lot better we could really do a lot better in some aspects but it is glacial um in moving in the right direction and we're starting to see like those dubro games be a lot more less common by comparison even if the general gameplay kernels are kind of like the same thing but that is going to eventually give way to creating more unique perspectives that explore things like culture race gender and so much more beyond the the basics of what we've had before and that in itself is really kind of like it, it kind of gives me hope for the future um you know we're not in a bad place necessarily right now but i do love the fact that we're going to see more a wider breadth of, of games that deal with lots of different topics and lots of different types of narratives and lots of different type of perspectives and bring that freshness as well and thankfully that's also coming from the industry becoming a little bit more inclusive again a long way to go but the different voices that we have in the industry and that are being included and into the industry and is is helping with that and when we start opening those doors a little bit wider and the industry starts coming a little bit better and when it comes to representation then we'll start to see that trickle into the games a lot more as well which is an amazing thing uh, even if it will take a long time to get there <laughs> i want to see more stories about identity people discovering who they are or letting the world discover who they are 
and at like different stages of life because I feel like this happens a lot uh with like coming of age but it's like it's a subject that affects you at every stage of your life and just like different stories about yeah about people discovering who they are or the world discovering who they are I like the idea cool all right that's made me think of different kind of stories there Jasmine how about yourself I think I want to see more exploration games. Uh, I'm a really big fan of anything where you're able to kind of wander and be a nomad, but I want to see more story kind of placed on that. Uh, I always joke that my idea would be like No Man's Sky, but a lot more intimate and closed, which I know Mm. is kind of paradoxical (laughs) given (laughs) the fact that it's so vast, but uh, that's kind of structure uh, applied with some sort of, you know, overall overarching kind of motive or driver for you to explore and kind of character to be and all that stuff because i feel like a lot of times those games are presented as sandboxes but sometimes it's nice to have a narrative imposed because you know you're able to kind of explore a certain perspective so that's one of them uh and then the other one i guess i'd really want to see uh i know we chatted a bit about hades not necessarily the roguelite aspect of it although that is absolutely phenomenal i think I'm really interested in seeing more visual novels come out and, you know, kind of exploring the types of conflict or types of action that you could have that uh, kind of spring out of those. So I've seen a lot of like activity and flurry on Twitter recently because of game jams and all of that stuff. And I think uh, it's interesting to see a lot of the ways that people are handling conflict in the indie scene, specifically in visual novels, because it does require either from a development, you know, constraint, whether it's a development constraint or whether it's just uh, a scope constraint, you know, Mm. they're not always including what we typically think of as combat, but there is still action. There is still nuance. There is still kind of growth and movement and dynamism. And I think that's something it'd be cool to see uh, hit the mainstream a little bit more. Nice. Um, Yeah. I'm with you on the the traversal thing because I, uh, I'm playing right rise of the no shadow of the tomb raider i always get his names confused i think it's shadow of the tomb raider the latest mm-hmm. of the, the reboot and i find myself almost more interested by the exploration parts versus the, yeah. the combat yeah and that kind of surprised me it's like oh i quite like moving around the space and solving these puzzles and and then having that reason as to why i'm i'm doing this that, that yeah i like that idea i think the other thing for me is very specific, uh, and it's uh, Mirror's Edge. Uh, I want another Mirror's Edge game uh, and a narrative uh, yes, uh, around that. <laughs> Even though the first game did frustrate me at times just because of, uh, you know, speaking of interaction, the way you interact with the world. But what I like about that, it's sort of first person, you're traversing the world. So it's not so much exploration, although it would be good to see exploration in that as well, but you're traversing the world in a unique way. And then the, the enemy interaction is about de-escalation so you're not necessarily the most powerful person. So it's not about taking you know, another weapon and then leveling up the weapon and just taking out loads of enemies. You're, you're de-escalating and you're moving on. And I really like that. That's always stuck in my mind. I know they did a, a some kind of sequel, but I didn't quite match up, but like a proper like leveling up of, of that kind of game, that kind of interaction and that kind of narrative. I'd really like to uh, see that in, in this generation. Cool. All right. Uh, so my last question specifically for Corey and Jasmine is what advice do you have for a young or aspiring video game writer like today um, to prepare for the future of narrative 
designing in video games what would you what would you say to them to prepare for to look at to get ready for Corey start with you I'm I'm gonna go on some very traditional answers um uh write uh and write widely what I mean by that is you know don't stick to particular genres don't stick to particular mediums have a broad understanding of what it is to create story and what it is to create story in different mediums so the wider that you have the the more likely someone is going to potentially pay attention to you because there may have there may be less barriers uh, in a sense of like oh well we we see you write comic books that means that you understand what it means to collaborate potentially for example so having that ability to write widely is is really really useful there's also lots of books out there to take advantage of you know i'm i am so old that there was a time where there was no internet and there was no ability to uh, find out what it was like to write video games back when i was interested um even if you went to the library so things like um the game narrative toolbox uh, and other titles that specifically use the experiences of of people who have been writing in the industry for a long time and, and tell you the, the nuts and bolts those are super, super useful, but attend talks, attend panels, um, you know, attend as much as possible from online kind of like classes, expand your knowledge. Um, so it's not just games writing, but also adjacent skills as well. And, um, you know, I, a person asked me, I think it was last year, um, they wanted to get into games. And, and I said, well, what games do you play? And they gave me back like Fortnite and FIFA. And at that point, I was just like, well, you need to tell me what makes those games great. You need to understand what has been put into those games from a mechanical point of view that makes them as good as they are. So the other piece of advice I would give is play lots of games across lots of different genres. Don't just play FIFA. Don't just play Fortnite. Don't just play the popular big online games. Play games across all the genres that especially that you're not familiar with or don't particularly feel like you may like but try to understand them um try to figure out what makes them tick what decisions were made and work out why as well you know read and watch interviews and, and talks and the last thing i would say as well is be open and flexible um as a games writer or a narrative designer you won't necessarily be just writing you really need to show that you're a team player who's not going to complain about just like, oh, I'm going to have to write barks all day, which is basically, you know, you're writing one thing in lots of different ways. Like, you know, look out, look over there. Oh my God, what about this over there? And just repeating that over and over and over again. You may have to do that. Um, you may not even be writing character sheets. You may not be writing dialogue. You may not be doing the fun stuff. But if you show that you're able and willing to, you know, just actually be part of a, of a wider team because game making is ridiculously difficult that will go a very very long way into ensuring that people will want to have you in their team people will value your judgment and your opinion and that it will show that uh, you know you're willing to to learn this very complicated and multifaceted industry because um, there is a lot of aspects to it that are um, tricky to handle once you're immersed in them that you may not necessarily realize that they're there and this is this is coming from a person who's been in industry for 20 years and i'm still discovering new stuff because i've only been in the narrative side of industry for about two so it's um it's like oh my god it's like all this new stuff that i didn't realize i'd have to deal with or have to consider is it's really good to be able to kind of like just sit there and kind of go okay i understand it it's a learning process and i'm not writing but I'm still having fun. 
Mm. So, uh, so yeah, those would be my main broad pieces of advice. Nice. Uh, Jasmine, do you have anything to uh, add to that? Uh, that covered a lot of it. I mean, I would say... Sorry. Uh, <laughs> no, it's all good. It's great advice. Uh, it's advice I wish I would have known when I, I started out. I think uh, I'm still relatively... Well, no, not even relatively. I'm still new to the games industry. And I think a lot of the lessons I've learned so far have been through being, I guess, a little bit scrappy in terms of, you know, getting in because I, I didn't go to game design school and uh, or do any formal courses or any of the, the traditional routes of getting into the industry. My advice would be, you know, like Corey said, read a wide, you know, breadth of material. Don't just read comics. Don't just read books. Don't just play video games. Immerse yourself in a, a bunch of different stories. And I would also say that as you start to kind of do what he said and puzzle out the mechanics and figure out why something is good, even if it is something as mundane as FIFA or, you know, Fortnite, I would say if you're going to try and replicate those stories and if that's something you're passionate about, then write about it. You know, I would say challenge yourself to uh, write in that vein and write in that style and kind of do writing exercises that take you out of your own perspective and your typical voice and immerse you in something different. So if it is for a game that you don't usually play, try writing a scene from it, try writing barks for it. Uh, you're going to be writing a lot of barks if you get into narrative design. It's a lot of, oh God, grenade, look out, grenade. <laughs> so, you know, get used to that and just kind of challenge yourself and do exercises and build up a portfolio, uh, like you said, across a bunch of uh, different mediums, a bunch of different kind of work that you can show. And that way, you you know, you show that you are a uh, Swiss Army knife of sorts, because it is not just all writing prose or writing dialogue or writing, you know, character sheets. Cool. There you go. So for anyone listening, uh, once in, you have your instructions, go forth and <laughs> uh, and create and learn. But yeah, and I think it is worth even if, uh, as Corey mentioned, these are things that might be sort of traditional answers. I think it, it sometimes repetition is good. I know from my own experience, uh, I need to hear things multiple times <laughs> sometimes. So uh, sometimes from different sources. Uh, so if that uh, helps someone, um, yeah, it's it's good to hear it multiple times sometimes. So yeah, that is our our discussion. As always, you can give us your feedback. We've been talking narrative design in video games. Let us know what you think in our Discord, or you can email us feedback at mymatter.com. Before we wrap this show, uh, let's just check in with our guests and find out a bit more about them and where you can find uh, what they are working on. So we just want to get a, a little bit of information on you for our guests tonight. So Jasmine, we'll start with you. What's your latest news or interesting projects and where can we find you? Sure. So COVID has kind of messed with things. I was actually uh, supposed to, well, not supposed to, I got uh, an offer to write for Sledgehammer, uh, but COVID and Brexit and all that lovely stuff kind of messed it up. So I'm at Jagex and working in ops and it's been a lot of fun. But on the writing side uh, and on the kind of narrative side, I've been taking some time to work for on personal projects. Um, so I'm currently working on a webcomic uh, that I plan to release. I also have kind of shifted focus on that slightly uh, to apply for a uh, Netflix writing fellowship, uh, which I'm really excited about. So I'm currently writing a uh, pilot screenplay for an animated series uh, for that. So that should be done within the month. But after that, I will be back to posting webcomic stuff. And you can find me at Brown Girl Games on Twitter. 
also on Instagram, and you can find my work at browngirl.io. Thank you, and good luck with the uh, Netflix. So, Corey, what about you? What are you up to, and where can we find you? Uh, so, uh, so the, the the giant NDA bomb that's like looming over my head, like the sword of Damocles, has made it a bit more difficult to <laughs> <laughs> to talk too much. But uh, Silver Rain Games, uh, we recently announced that uh, EA is publishing our first untitled, un, uh, currently unannounced title. Um, so uh, we'll be undoubtedly talking about that at some point in the future so uh, please do keep an eye out for that um also working on windrush tales like i mentioned a few times earlier um that is a branching narrative adventure game about um the windrush generation in 1950s britain so that is coming along nicely at the moment um, still in development still a while off but um but we will be able to hopefully show something about that uh, in the coming kind of like six months to into next year um outside of that i'm still working uh, in comics uh, working on season three of our urban fantasy um, graphic novel series, uh, Magical Miss, which I do with uh, Sergio Calvert, co-creator. So um, season three is, is kind of along the line, along with a couple of uh, side um, stories that will hopefully be coming out in the, the coming kind of 12 months or so, along with a study aid book as well for kids in schools. Um, Clockwork Watch, which is a steampunk uh, transmedia series that I've worked on with um, Yami Ayeni, who is the uh, creator, uh, and uh, Yeni Yilblad, who is the uh, co-creator, -co co-artist. Uh, we're working on a tenth book at the moment that is being drawn by Yeni at this moment in time, so uh, I'm editing that right now. We're hoping to have that book out towards the back end of this year. Uh, we tend to launch them every San Diego Comic Con, but uh, but COVID has pretty much put pay to that. Um, so the tenth book should be out at the end of this year. If not, then we'll probably launch it at San Diego next year instead. And I've also got a very small, very small announcement um, leaping off the back of my most recent graphic novel, uh, which was called Deadlier Dan. It was an anthology of four stories about four different women, well, three women and a spider, um, basically in sci-fi and fantasy genres. So I've been working on something behind the scenes uh, with that. Um, so it'll be a, a very, like I say, a very modest announcement coming up with that relatively soon. Um, so there should be something coming on the surface of that within the next few months. People can find me on Twitter, Instagram, via my name, Corey Breverson, or one word. Um, I am apparently the only Corey Breverson on the entire internet, which is still a surprise. So I'm very easy to find. Nice. <laughs> makes uh, makes it very very easy to uh, to register for a lot of accounts. That's for sure. And I have a website, uh, CoreyBreverson.com, uh, where you can find all information about my current work, my previous work, and all my social media links as well. Excellent. Uh, we're looking forward to to those announcements. All the information will be in the show notes. Um, so we'll we'll have you covered. Well, thank you, uh, Corey and Jasmine, for joining us. Um, like I mentioned, we've spoken before uh, individually. It's good to have you both on uh, and talk more in depth about narrative design in video games. Thank you so much. Thank you very much. It's been fun. Yeah, uh, you are very welcome. So if uh, you're listening and you have enjoyed this episode, make sure you do subscribe so you don't miss a future episode. And you can also go back in time and, and catch all of our previous episodes uh, if you're on apple podcast also uh, give us a rating uh, and review which helps us reach new listeners and fans of story discussions 
so uh, Maya Mada also makes stories and our latest manga Serious Through the Fog is coming in summer, end of spring, summer-ish, June, July, that kind of time. Um, so we're working through it now. Uh, you can pre-order it now uh, and you can stay tuned for updates as we put together the pages and yeah, just show you how it's all coming together. Um, if you're a fan of video game events, uh, you can jump in our gamepad discord. Um, consider becoming a Studio 77 member for exclusive access to uh, gamepad events and content from the Maya Matter universe. Our next gamepad online event, which is streaming uh, free on Twitch, is July the 10th. And you can get your tickets there to be entered into that uh, artwork raffle that I mentioned uh, at the beginning. In general, stay tuned for more podcast episodes, including creator interviews, video game discussions, and deep dives into stories across pop culture. You can always give us a shout directly. Our email address is feedback at myamada.com, and our website with links to subscribe is myamada.com forward slash story x story. Until next time, stay tuned, stay safe, everyone, and we will see you soon. (laughs) 